here to support them and to support your church and to see what it means uh, to be a member. And so I'm looking forward to that. We can have that. Uh, reminder as well that there will be a brief meeting following the morning service for the ladies who are attending the um, ladies retreat to Claytor Lake. That's later this week. They leave Thursday and come back next Saturday. Um, so they'll be gone for a few days. But uh, the meeting will be right down here in the front. All right. Um, then as well, a reminder um, for the safe trick-or-treat on October 31st uh, that the town does. We'll be setting up there and giving out candy and tracks. Uh, to all the kids and families that come through. Uh, we have a goal of at least 5,000 pieces of candy. Um, that will get us a whole lot farther than it did last year. Last year, we only got to stay out there about 10 minutes because we ran out of everything. Uh, we still gave out about 100 bags and, and tracks of candy and all that stuff, so it was great. Uh, but we would love some donations of the pre-wrapped good candy. All right, y'all know what good candy is? I'll tell you what, what's not good candy. Don't, don't give, uh, let's see, Smarties, candy corn, that sort of thing, okay? We're looking for chocolates. Uh, we're looking for the Milky Ways, the Twixes, the Kit Kats, the good stuff, all right, M&Ms, that'll work. Uh, but we'll put all that in a bag uh, with gospel track for the kids, invites to church for families, and uh, we'll be able to do that. So if you can, uh, next time you're at Walmart, Food Line, Dollar General, wherever, or uh, grab you some candy and uh, bring it here for donation. That will help us out a lot. Then October 20th and 21st, we are finally in October, finally at the month for our conference that we've been promoting. Our Living in Spite of Conference will be that Friday evening and Saturday just a reminder as well, there's some couple things in the back for that. One, you can register online on the website. Two, you can register um, on the sign-up sheet in the back. Or as well, you could help to sign up. We've got a few needs for volunteers, uh, a few spots. So if you're interested in helping out for the conference, that would be a big help for us. Um, and then as well, there's some more information back there, some invitations. And as well, from last week, a bulletin insert that has some more details about the conference for giving and different things like that. But I highly encourage you to invite some folks out for that and uh, so far we've got a little over 50 uh, people who are registered so that means we're missing a lot of our own church folks though who have not registered for the conference even if you're not coming for both days please register so that we have a head count for the meals and for the resources and things like that um, and even if you're not sure you're coming at all please sign up just in case all right so we'd like to know um, that you're coming it is a free conference and we want folks to come and to get some help from the Lord uh, then a uh, mark this on your calendar uh, to Sunday, October 29th, our last Sunday of the month, we're going to be having our fabulous fall family fun fling ding and chili cook-off. So this will be our third annual chili cook-off, and so we're looking forward to that. That'll be, um, depending on the weather, we might, have, we might try to have it out, outside this year. We'll see how cool it gets, but either way, we'll have it in the back. We'll have a good time. Uh, bring chili. We'll have prizes for hottest chili, uh, coldest chili. I'm just kidding, not coldest chili. If you bring cold chili, right, you, go, you keep on going, all right? Uh, uh, hottest chili and then uh, best or favorite, uh, crowd favorite chili, all right? And uh, we'll have some sides. Bring whatever else you want to bring uh, to eat. We'll have a good time. We'll also have some door prizes and some games and a photo booth for, for families and things. Um, so that'll be a good time. Then Thursday, uh, January 25th, the 27th, the Men's Prayer Advance. Uh, gentlemen, please sign up in the back, but as well, $100 deposit will be due November the 5th, all right? That will... Uh, get, you get your deposit down to get registered for the conference, and as well, hotel room, uh, total cost being $200, all right? Um, let us read the scripture this morning. We'll pray, and uh, we'll stand to our feet, and we'll sing and worship the Lord today. Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8 tells us this. Psalmist says, uh, David here, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings, and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. 
Today, may the law of God be on our hearts, on our minds. May His Word be at the forefront and the focus so that we would delight to do His will. I want to tell you, if you're here today, you are uh, in the Lord's will to be in His house, to gather with the saints of God, to hear the gospel preached, to stand uh, and fellowship one with another, to fellowship with the saints and the, and, and the gospel and the unity that He's given us, and to glorify God. That is God's will for each believer. So I'm grateful that we can be here today and to do just that. Uh, let us pray. And uh, we will stand to our feet and worship uh, the God of heaven. Lord, we love you. We want to thank you for this time. Grateful that we can gather and worship you. And Lord, that we can come uh, before you, Lord, uh, as a needy people, Lord. Each one of us is a need today of spiritual uh, needs and conditions. Lord, we have financial needs. We have a million needs, God. But nevertheless, we trust that you are able to take care of each one. So, Lord, we trust you with each moment. We pray that today, as we stand, that we would sing, that we would lift up our hearts and our voices to you, that we would worship you, glorify you, and honor you. Lord, not merely for what, what you've done for us, but simply, God, for who you are. Lord, you're gracious, you're faithful, you're kind, you're loving, you're just, you're good, you're holy, you're righteous, all of these things, Lord. And then some, Lord, we could never uh, in a million years say all that you are and all that you've done for us and worship you enough. So, Lord, help us today in just this moment uh, to be uh, surrendered to your presence and your word and, God, to, to yield ourselves to you, to glorify you, to fellowship one with another and to hear your word, Lord, and to be changed by your word, to receive it by faith today. And uh, God, we just want to thank you for the work that you've been doing in the life of your church. We thank you for the work that you're going to accomplish today uh, as we gather now. And Lord, we give this service and this time to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, as JL comes, I just want to say, you come on. Yeah, yeah, this is for you. Uh, y'all, I want y'all to give uh, Mr. JL a hand. He plans uh, all of our music and does a fabulous job uh, and uh, grateful for his work and for his heart. So this is just a little thank you. We appreciate you, JL. All right. Well, we're grateful for his work and for Miss Joanne. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, I'm loud this morning. And that's what my wife tells me all the time. I'm too loud. <laughs> but anyway, good morning, and it's good to be in the Lord's house. I would like to challenge and uh, ask on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every song that we sing got a lot of ringing. Every song that we sing, always, here at Victory Way Baptist Church, and for that matter, any other church, direct your song to the Lord. That's who it's, that's who it's about. Every song that we sing is always about, some way or another, in the song about Jesus Christ. So sing unto Jesus Christ this morning. And if you're able, please stand, as our first song is uh, hymn number 170, Give Thanks. Psalm 126.3 says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Now, we got that ringing out of it, I believe, most of it anyway. So give thanks.
Next song, if you would remain standing, Jesus is coming again, hymn number 753. John 14.3 tells us, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now that's a big promise right there. I like it. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Let us take comfort in that verse. Where Jesus is, there ye may be also. Jesus is coming again. Marvelous message we bring. Glorious carol we sing. Wonderful word of is coming again coming again coming again maybe morning maybe noon maybe evening and maybe soon
glad of the message in that song. Give me a hearty amen. 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 Remain standing if you're able. Our next song is Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hymn number 311. John 4, 42 tells us, And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, which is the Savior of the world. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. What a Savior. singing here. <laughs> Go around, shake hands, share a smile, say hello.
Amen. Praise the Lord for good, sweet fellowship. Good to shake hands, share a hello and a smile. And uh, if you would, get back to your seats. We're going to get back to worshiping the Lord here. And we have a special song now by Mrs. Ann Stone. So, Ann, you come on. Try to hide all my music.
Amen. You know, that, that song really lifted me up this morning. I've been through a storm this week. And it's 3 a.m. Thursday morning, phone rung, and you know what time, what's going on when the phone rings that time of morning. And uh, my daughter had been in a serious accident and uh, scared us to death. But praise God, hallelujah, she was okay. Uh, didn't have any injuries. She's sore, but the uh, car was totaled. She fell asleep and uh, ran off the side of the road and hit a guardrail. And, and uh, she's lucky to be living, and she didn't even get hurt. And that's prior answer because Michelle brought up her falling people down there at Outer Banks, and I mentioned my daughter too. She was down there, and bless her heart, she couldn't stay awake, fell asleep, but. Praise God, he's spared. And I'm, I'm thankful that was a storm in my life. It was for her, too, that day. And I was thinking, I, I'm not the only one. I know everyone sitting here, everyone's up here, has had storms. If not today, a few days ago. And, you know, I might hear what your storm is, and I say, right, ain't nothing, ain't no big deal. But when it's you, it's a big deal. When it happens to you, it's real, ain't it? Notice that proper vocabulary I'm using, ain't it? I mean, I'm serious. And uh, we all go through storms. So thank you, Ann, for that song. That's straight from God. And uh, thank you, Lord, for those encouraging words. There's peace. God will give us peace in the storm. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings of this life, for all your mercy and your grace and your love. Thank you, most of all, for dying for us on the cross of Calvary, which is a demonstration of your great love for us. We praise you and thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the song, this peace in the midst of a storm. Lord, thank you for sparing my daughter. Thank you, for, Lord, that she's not hurt. And uh, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this time to be in your house, to lift up our voices unto the one that deserves to be lifted up. That's the name and you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would just be pleased with the songs we sing today to bring honor and glory to you is our effort, our aim, and to make a joyful noise. We pray for our pastor, and we ask, Lord, you'd help him to preach your, your uh, word, to preach your message that you've given, Lord, today for your people, the sheep that are here today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'd just help him and strengthen him and give him a fresh anointing. And, Lord, in a great and mighty way, he'd proclaim, Lord, the great truths of your word here today. We love you, and thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, stand one more time, if you're able. And we're going to sing, Worthy is the Lamb, and amen, He is worthy. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, He is worthy. Revelation 5.12 tells us, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, 
and blessing. Amen and amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is worthy. He is the perfect lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb. See We crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious, high and lifted up. Jesus, Son of God, the darling of heaven, crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. For this love, Lord, thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow, now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. We crown him amen he is worthy if you're able you can be seated <laughs> amen well praise the lord for the ability to stand up and sit down and all of that don't thank the lord for that enough probably but take your bible turn with me to job chapter one this morning job chapter one as we're preparing for this conference, and I think maybe half of y'all are probably about sick of me talking about it, but I want to make sure you're there, and if you're 
sick of me talking about it. Well, you probably haven't registered yet, and I think you ought to, so there you go. Uh, (laughs) But as we're preparing our hearts for what the Lord has for us to see what God's grace can do while living in spite of our trials and sufferings and difficulties, I want us to look, and I believe the Lord wants us to look at the life of Job. We'll look at a, a sort of an overview over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at this little mini-series, The School of Suffering, Learning the Lessons and Taking the Tests of Faith. Most of us today, if you're like me, right, and I'm sure that you, you probably are here in this case, we learn things the hard way sometimes. And by sometimes, I mean most of the time. And by most of the time, I mean just about all the time. We are a stubborn, hard-headed folk, but nevertheless, here's what I want you to understand. Suffering, trials, difficulties, it is the schoolhouse of God's grace and love and mercy that teaches us to not rely upon ourselves, but to rely solely upon Him and His grace, His love, and His mercy. It is to turn our hearts by faith to Him alone. It is to prune out uh, the sin that may be in our life. And I want us to go ahead and understand this. Not all suffering is because of sin. Not all suffering is because of someone else's sin. Sometimes suffering is just suffering. Sometimes trials are just trials, but nevertheless, what we find is with every trial, with every moment of suffering, with every difficulty in life, what we find is that it has a purpose and it is working a work in us of which we often cannot see, but God is glorifying Himself in the middle of such sorrows. And we have to remember this as well, that our very Savior, as we've just sung, a man of sorrows, as Isaiah 53 tells us, that He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was a man who was stricken with grief that every sin of ours, our guilt, our penalty was placed upon Him. And notice at the end of Isaiah 53, it says, and it pleased the Father, it pleased God Almighty to crush His Son. We talk about suffering injustice and unjustly. The only one that has ever truly suffered unjustly is Jesus Christ Himself. Every one of us are guilty before God, and nevertheless what we find is that not all of our suffering is due to some sort of guilt. Nevertheless, what we find is this, that Jesus Christ is the only one who suffered for crimes that He did not commit, who paid the price for sins He did not commit. He is the only one who has ever been declared guilty when He was perfectly whole and not guilty. The spotless Lamb of God. And that is why we sing what we've just sung, Worthy is the Lamb. Job chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. You think, I've heard you preach. You're not going to get through all that. We will. (laughs) We're going to read verse 20 through 22 and we're going to pray. The focus today is this. We need to learn to worship in the wreckage of life. When everything falls apart, those are the moments where worship will become real or not. Those are the times where faith becomes real or not. And it reveals where our faith truly is. Here's what we want to read here. Verse 20-22, through it says, Then Job arose. If you are familiar with Job, even those who don't know the Bible know about the patience of Job and some of the tragedies that he went through. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground. There's not a period there, is there? It says, and he worshipped. 
and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. How often we do. Almighty God, we come to You want to thank You for the reading of Your Word. We're grateful that we can sing songs to lift up the name of Christ. We're grateful for His shed blood for the remission of sins. God, we're grateful for salvation. We're grateful that we can gather uh, and be under the, the, Your Word today. I pray that our hearts and our minds now would be rid of all distractions. God, that You would protect the hearts and the minds of Your people and especially myself this morning as I preach Your Word. God, that it would be You who gives unction and, and a filling to preach, but as well it would be You who opens up the, 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 the Word to Your people, the hearts and the ears uh, of Your people. And God, that we would receive Your Word today by faith that we would see that we are to worship You in all times and all places, that we would see Your worthiness, God, that You'd be glorified in these things. Lord, help us to make the most of the school of suffering of which You take us through. Lord, that we might uh, learn what it means to live by faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are infinite lessons and tests to take in the school of suffering. School never lets out. This is the issue. When you were in school, when I was in school, we loved that 3 o'clock dismissal bell. Matter of fact, if you were like me, you heard this all the time from your school teachers. That bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Oh, see, I got a couple kids up in the front, and they just said it verbatim, right? Now, why? Because they've heard that a time or two. Here's the thing. You and I, the moment things get difficult, the moment a test comes across our desk, here's what we want to do. Uh, is that bell about to ring? You know, I think i got to go to lunch. Uh, we're texting mom and dad. Hey, can you call, get me out, tell them I'm sick, right? You're faking sick. You're faking going to the bathroom. You're, you're doing everything you can to get out of taking this test. You're doing everything that you can to get out of this difficulty. <laughs> I've been a student. I've been in school before, right? We've all been there. But when it comes to spiritual things, how many times a test comes across our desk and we say, God, I don't want to take that. Matter of fact, you know what, God? I'll take the test as long as you give all the answers and make it a passing grade, boost my uh, GPA in class, and then maybe get me out of the next one, right? Give me, if as long as I do good on this test, then, then Lord, I don't want any tests for a while, right? Not till next semester. We've got to understand that we're in school until we are with our bridegroom. We will be in the schoolhouse learning. And our learning is not going to be done until we reach glory. And I want to be a good student. You might not have been a good student in school. Some, we got several teachers in, in, uh, in here this morning, and we've got a lot of students too. You got some students that have a tough go, right? They, they, they make it a tough time sometimes me being a teacher, right? Nevertheless, every student in the school of suffering needs to learn to be a good student, you know, because it teaches us who God is, teaches us who we are, and it strengthens our faith for the test to come. You see, pain is not without purpose. Pain, sorrow, grief, trial, suffering, however, often tempt us to view God as distant or uncaring. And that's, that might be where you are today. You might not be there today. You might go, well, how could anyone say that God is distant or uncaring? Have you ever suffered before? Have you ever gone through unimaginable pain and sorrow and difficulty and brokenness? There in those moments, those thoughts often cross, and some of them are the first things to cross your mind and your heart. Where is God? Is He there? Does He even care? Robert Murray McShane said, Your afflictions may only prove that you are more immediately under the Father's hand. There is no time that the patient is such an object of tender interest to the surgeon as when he is bleeding beneath his knife. 
So you may be sure if you are suffering from the hand of a reconciled God that His eye is all the more bent on you. It has been said by a Puritan that he feels as if sometimes that he's only hanging by a thread. Anyone ever felt that way before? Yeah. Sometimes we feel that that thread is, is cracking. It's starting to break off. It's starting to fray at the end and we're waiting for the drop. I want you to know, dear believer today, as that great Puritan once said, you might feel as if you were being held on only by a thread, but you can rest assured that it is God who is the weaver. It is God who is the one who has spun it. It is God who holds it. I would rather be holding on by a thread that is being held by the hand of God than holding on to a quilt made by my own works or by man's doing. Spurgeon put it this way, sure as God puts His children in the furnace of affliction, He will be with them in it. I remember there were three Hebrew boys that went into a fiery furnace and when Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he didn't see three anymore, did he? So there's a fourth. It was Jesus Christ Himself there with His people in the midst of affliction and suffering because He is the One Himself who has suffered and been afflicted for His people. It is in the school of suffering that we learn real faith. We learn real worship. Real faith doesn't stay on the mountaintop. Our flesh wants to stay on the mountaintop. Faith learns through the valley of the shadow of death to not fear any evil because the Lord is with me. Every ounce of suffering in the believer's life is producing a weight of glory heavier than the weight of a lifetime of suffering. I would put it this way, an ounce of suffering is worth a pound of glory. A a minute of difficulty and tragedy, a day filled with tears, is worth an eternity to be with our Lord who shall wipe away every tear. What we're going to see is that Job stands as an exemplary student in the school of suffering. May we learn like he to be a godly student to the glory of God. May we learn today as we look at chapter 1 to worship in the wreckage. Look at me at verse number 1. We'll look at verse 1 through 5. First of all, we're going to see an honorable character. This man was not like you and I. He was honorable in all his doings, godly and faithful in all his doings. Look at this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Right? He's got a whole slew of kids. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. How many of y'all got 7,000 sheep? That's what I thought, right? You thought you had money, right? Because you had a Chevy. They got 7,000 sheep. He's got 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Later on, when you read about some of the kings of of Israel, even some of them didn't have as much as Job had here at this point. Job was rich, wealthy, had it all. And on top of that, he was godly. And every woman around the area would be going, he's the man right there. That's what I want. I want my husband to be like Job. I want him to be rich and have all kinds of camels and servants and all the stuff and be godly. Oh, yeah. It doesn't say he was handsome, though, ladies. But here's what it does say. It says his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone on his day, and sent and called their house, uh, called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. He's got a close knit family. 
And it was so when the days of their feastings were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning to to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. First of all, we need to see that Job was blameless. Not sinless, blameless. And there's a difference. The idea here in verse number 1 says that he was perfect and upright. The word perfect here is that of completeness. The idea of being blameless here in the Hebrew Now, here's what we have to understand. Being sinless is a vertical issue, right? Is there anyone sinless today? No, not one. Is there any good? No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We find that all are sinners. Now, with this, we understand that none of us are sinless. But here's what we are striving for, dear Christian. While you might not achieve sinlessness in this lifetime, nevertheless, there is an idea and understanding of being blameless. This is of horizontal and vertical value. This means that no one on the outside of Job's life was able to look into his life and go, well, he's a drunk. He's a poor husband. He's a poor father. He's a poor businessman. They were able to look at him and go, I can't find nothing wrong with the guy. He was blameless before God, blameless before men. There was nobody who compared to his character uh, would be found matching on the equal playing field. There was none that seemed to be as godly as Job. There was none that was as rich as Job. There was none that feared God and was as upright and, and was as blameless as Job was. He lived it right. Furthermore, he was upright. Not only was he blameless, he was upright. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was upright here. It means to be straight or right. He walked the straight and narrow. Job was steadfast in his way of life. Not merely just his faith, but he wasn't veering off to the right or to the left. He wasn't falling in this ditch and then uh, going into another. He was not being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. He was on the straight and narrow way. He was fixed. He was uh, hard-lined to, to follow the Lord and to live right. He was a disciplined man. Job wasn't swayed by the times of the influencers of his day. Job wasn't uh, influenced by the, the times and the seasons and, and changing about with everyone. Job walked a straight and narrow life before God and man. Job was stable. Job was noble in all facets of life. So why do bad things happen to good people? We're faced with questions like that in the midst of such suffering that he's about to face an unimaginable amount of suffering in a moment. Literally in an afternoon, his world falls apart. Job is going to suffer in ways that you and I have never even imagined of suffering, some of which some of you are going to be able to relate to his suffering. And nevertheless, everyone that has ever put on flesh and lived in this world will be able to relate here because we know what it means to have our worlds fall apart in an instant. So why do bad things happen? We find that in a sinful world, there will always be suffering. We are promised, even by Jesus Christ Himself, that there will be tribulations. But nevertheless, we are promised that those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is the only place of suffering, and that the moment that we leave this world behind, we shall be with our Lord. And that one day, He will wipe away all tears. That He will put us into a place where He will dwell with us and we will dwell with Him forevermore and nothing can ever change it. And it will be worth it. Not only was He blameless, but He was a believer. One that feared God and eschewed evil. Let's go ahead and break this down. You want to know why He eschewed evil? Because He feared God. 
He wasn't just a moral man. He feared God and that's why he lived this way. I want you to know that moralism will not get you to heaven. What we find here is Job is not living by moralism. Job is living by a fear, a faith, a reverence, a trust in the Lord God Almighty. What he is doing is living as you and I are to live. A holy life, a life of holiness, not out of moral obligation, but rather one of a loving obedience to our God and His rule. Look at this. We see in verse 1 and verse 5 how he was believing. We see, first of all, he feared God. It means that he was full of faith and a reverence in God and toward God. It is a Bible term used, Old and New Testament alike, speaking of those who are saved and live by faith. We are told about the fear of the Lord, how it brings knowledge and wisdom. It's the way of which those who are righteous live, that we live with a fear of God Almighty. And today, if you don't have a fear of God Almighty, there is something wrong. You need a glimpse, and a good, quick glimpse even, just a quick glimpse of who God is. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is the living God. Our God is the one who created all things and sustains all things. And if He wanted to, He could just squish it all. But He hasn't. So in this moment, dear non-believer, would you come to Christ who bled and died for your sins and rose again, who is the Lamb that was slain, who is offering life and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to His heavenly Father so that you would know Him forever so that you would see who God is, that you would learn to fear Him. Fearing God and having faith in God are synonyms in the Bible. They go together. You won't find one without the other. Where there is real faith, there is a real reverence of God. Where there is a real reverence and a fear of God, there is real faith. This led to him eschewing evil. It means to be sanctified, to be separated from evil. Which tells us even more so about his character, that he was blameless. Meaning, if it looked evil, if it smelled evil, if it talked evil, if it was evil, if it even thought about being evil, he stayed away from it. He lived a sanctified and a holy life because he trusted God. He was not merely seeking moralism to try to please God because your moralism, your religiosity, your churchianity, you cannot please God in the flesh. There is only pleasing God by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And here's what we see today. You might be relying and trusting in your good works. You might be trusting in, in your religion. You might be trusting that you're a good person. But I want you to know, none of that will stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God. None of that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, let alone of Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb. You must be cleansed by His blood. You must be born again. And then and only then can you eschew evil. Then and only then can you live by faith. Those that are saved by faith now live by faith. We sometimes tend to throw faith out the door and we go, well, faith saves us, but that's all it does. Faith is a sanctifier. Faith is a separator. Faith is what allows us to live to the glory of God. True faith produces true holiness before God and man. Now notice in verse 5, in the patriarchal period where this is believed to be, we believe that Job was sometime after the flood, be it before Abraham, uh, do much because of verse 5. When it was the days of their feasting were gone about, Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and he offered burnt offerings for each one of them. Why does he do that? Because he believes in the worship of Almighty God. He believes in going to God and asking for remissions of sins, even if he can't find one. He's going to confess all known sin. He's going to see that he 
is, is acting as a priest of his household. And what we find is that in this period, the father, the husband, was the spiritual priest of the home, guiding and guarding the hearts of the home to fear God in faith and righteousness. Dear husbands and fathers, are you acting now as the priest of your home? Are you leading your wife uh, to know God and to walk with Christ? Are you leading her as an example of what it means to be holy and upright before God? Are you showing your children what it means to be a, a man after God's own heart? Are you leading your family in prayer and worship? Or do you merely attend? Or is worship far from your mind? Are the things of God far from your mind? Because if they're far from your mind, dear husband and father, they will be far from your children. Here he acts as the family priest. And what we find is that it's not that mothers and wives aren't meant to be godly. They are meant to be godly. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for my godly mother, I would not have known the Lord, and neither would my father, who was a heathen. So thank God for godly women. What we find is that in the home, the man was to lead, and Job did so. He was godly. He was upright. He was the best husband, father, and businessman around and he loved the Lord. Even with all this honorable character, what we find is that God blessed him with all of these belongings. Not only belongings, but He first of all blessed him with seven sons. Seven being a number of completion, perfection. Seven sons means you've got seven boys going to carry on your name, your legacy. They're going to inherit your land. They're going to inherit your sheep. They're going to build the continued empire. They're going to Make your name known. They're going to do something. And then the, the young ladies are going to continue to, to go forth and they're going to produce. And, and all of these things, we find the blessedness of children and what a gift that was. But God didn't just give them the, the gift of children and a wife that loved Him and a family that loved one another as they gather together on these days to celebrate and to feast with one another. But He gives them all the substance. Toward verse 3 tells us that He was the greatest of all the men of the East. He was physically and spiritually Blessed, and none were as physically or spiritually as rich as Job during that time. But if you and I have read the Bible, we know it's coming, don't we? Even right now, some of you perhaps are sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for the, the floor to drop open and go, oh yes, he's blessed, but then I know what's going to happen. It's all going to go away. Everything's going to go to hell. And you're just waiting for that moment. You're waiting for that suffering to come. And even right now, you're going, why? Why Job? Why have anybody on earth, why Job? Because God trusts Job to suffer well and to glorify the Lord. It is a blessing to suffer for the name of Christ. It is a blessing to suffer so that others might see what it means to find peace in a storm. To point to our God who reconciles and offers peace who is ever present in times of trouble. Spurgeon put it this way, that trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. You on the mountaintop, spiritually, physically, that's not who you are. Who you are is what you are and what you do when everything falls apart. Suffering shows us who we really are. Suffering shows us what we're really trusting in. Suffering shows us why we're trusting in it. And notice this in verse 6-12, we cannot miss this. 
We see his honorable character, but now we see a heavenly conversation that takes place. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among the, with them. Here's what we find. The, the, the devil and his minions, a third of the fallen angels. How many, of, how many is a third of the angels? We don't know. It's a numerable host. Even he has a numerable host. You know, he has a third of these fallen angels, and they come and they present themselves before the Lord. How interesting is that? Go ahead and mark it down. They can only do what the Lord allows. They can only go as far as God allows. And one day, every single devil, every single demon that has ever rebelled against God and, and sought to destroy your life will be cast into a lake of fire forever. It will not be the devil who is doing the tormenting, but rather he will be the one who is tormented. We can take assurance in that, dear believer. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? We've heard that because that's what, what, what we're described as there in verse number 1. And then God describes him as that. In the heavenly realm, God says, This is what that man is like. You want to know who's, whose words matter about your life? God's and God's alone. Let the world say what they want. Let the devil say what he wants. Let your own flesh say what it wants. What matters about your life is what God has to say about you. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none, right? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Oh, but you put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I don't think it took him too long to take flight to go to that land of Uz and begin to wreak havoc. The devil is excited for a moment like this. And God is going to use it to show His glory, to show His grace in the midst of suffering, and to show that He entrusts His servants who fear Him and love Him to go into the darkest of pits and the darkest of valleys to shine forth the light of God. Here's what we see. This heavenly view of suffering. If only Job could have seen and heard that conversation, how do you think he would have felt? Probably pretty good. If you and I could peel back the curtain, could peel back the clouds for a moment and listen up our ears and lift up our eyes and hear what God says about us. By the way, if you're in Christ, you want to know what He says about you? He says, He, they, she, they, she is mine. He is mine. They belong to me. They're bought by my Son. The devil can take a hike. There's nothing that can change your position before Almighty God. You are who you are in Christ. And there's nothing that can separate that. But if you and I could peel it back and know that whatever's about to come down the pipe in my life has already passed by the hand of Almighty God, it has gone through His ears, it has gone through His heart, it has come out of His mouth, it has passed down from His very throne, then that means when that suffering comes, I can greet it like a friend. 
Because God is going to use it for His glory. Oh, but when suffering comes, you and I, we, we crumble and we fret and we question God. How could you? I'm good. I, how could you? I'm a Christian. I'm saved. And by the way, I've been there. Everyone suffers. Everyone's got trials and everyone's got crosses that they've bore. There's been times in mine and my wife's times of suffering and waiting and difficulty where I've gone, how? I've given you my life. They're having children and they're out of wedlock and they're drunkards and they abuse their babies and I can't give my wife a child. I preach your word and I can't have that. You've ever been there? You ever been there in your suffering where you go, how? Why, God? The reason why we ask those questions is not because God is unjust, it's because we can't see what He's doing. We can't see the end result like He can. We can't see the work that He's doing upon our hearts like He can. And oh, how we can trust the scalpel of the great physician. Oh, how we can trust the hands of the potter that forms the clay because He loves the clay. And He tenderly, with the same hands that hold the world, forms our hearts, forms our lives in our mother's wombs so He can hold us up and go, oh, how they suffered, but oh, how they will be glorified with My Son. Suffering is providence working in us to produce a deeper faith, higher worship, and a broader conformity to Christ. What we find in this passage is that God is sovereign, Satan is not. <clears throat> we find that Satan is scheming. The devil will use this to try to destroy. God will use it to build. Ultimately, suffering and even Satan are ministers of God's providential plan to do a work in the life of His children. Sometimes, though, you and I give the devil far too much credit. We blame him for everything. We don't see God's work in it. We go, oh, the devil's working overtime. He might be. I want you to know he never stops working. Neither does God. But his work will one day be thwarted forevermore. So he's working tirelessly, ultimately to have no eternal fruit. What a waste. We find that God uses suffering. He entrusts Job to be his servant, to declare and to hold forth his name to go, I might lose Everything. But I know where I stand before God. And it's going to be alright. God sovereignly chooses to use Job to teach us about God's authority, His character, His worthiness, and about the life of those who trust Him. Every moment of your suffering, dear believer, Every hour, 
Every day of pain and trial is on the calendar of God. If we can trust Him to save us and to hold our salvation forever and forever, don't you think you can trust Him with that light momentary affliction when in comparison to the weight of glory and eternity? God here is the one that brings up Job. Not the devil. The Lord said, oh, you've been walking around to and fro? I already knew that because I know where you are. I know where you go. I know what you do and you only do because I let you go that far. You're on a leash. He says, if you considered my boy Job, he's mine. Have you seen my boy Job? Oh, he's perfect. He's upright. He's, he fears me. He eschews evil. You know what this Satan does? He immediately begins to accuse not Job. <laughs> Even Satan couldn't accuse Job and say, Oh yeah, well, well, God, have you seen Job behind closed doors? Have you seen the way he talks to his wife and his kids? He's got no ammo on Job. I can tell you this, He's got plenty on me. He's got plenty on you. But Jesus' blood is more than enough to shut down every arrow of the wicked one that He might accuse the brethren, but because they are brethren, they've got the victory. The devil says this, God, He doesn't even address Him as that either, does He? He says, Job, does he fear you for nothing? He goes, I'll tell you why he fears you. It's because you've given him everything. You've given him kids. You've given him a wife. You've given him camels and land and servants. You've made him rich and wealthy. And the family even gets along swimmingly. <laughs> you don't find that much, do you? He says, you've given him the perfect earthly life. Of course he fears you, but you take those things away. He'll curse your name. Satan accuses God of buying believers by blessing them. I want you to know, God bought his believers, but it wasn't through blessings of camels and sheep and oxen or cars or trucks, it was by the blood of Jesus Christ crushing His own Son. Let me ask you, do you praise Him when things are good? You might. Because it's easy to. But oh, when things are going so perfect in our life, how we forget to praise Him. Because when everything's going smooth, I don't need Him. Without Him, we can do nothing. Verse 13 and 19, we see the horrible crisis. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. They're gathered together for a fellowship, for a celebration. There came a messenger unto Job 
You ever have that? Someone says, I've got some news. I got good news and bad news. I always go, give me the bad news first. Then give me the good one, right? Tries to soften it up a little bit. He's going to get four straight crises in his life. It's going to be bad, worse, worser, and the worst. And it's more than I've faced in 29 years of living. It's more than most of you have faced in however long you've been alive. And it happens in an afternoon. The messenger says the first one here in this first crisis, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, meaning he's still speaking, and another servant walks up, another messenger, not even walks up, runs up. And said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants of the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. If it was just those three, Job's going to be all right. He might have lost his possessions and his business. Well, you can get possessions again, can't you? You can buy some more camels. You can do some more business. You can earn another buck. You can buy another this. You can buy another that. Oh, but this next one. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in thy eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness. Smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Here you can imagine Job, and I guess Mrs. Job. They're standing there, and the first one comes, and the first crisis comes to their life. The Sabians steal livestock and slaughter Job's servant. He'd be going, well, it's terrible. And while he's getting that news, the next messenger comes and says, Storm! calls this fire, perhaps lightning from heaven, if you were lightning from the storm that pops up, and it causes a fire, and it burns up the sheep and the servants who are out there with the sheep. Well, that's terrible too. That's even worse than the first one. And while that one's getting delivered, the next one comes and says, then the Chaldeans, now you got two different people groups coming after your livelihood. The world against Job, it seems. They steal his camels and they slaughter his servants. You can almost imagine him going, it's a rough day at the office. But we'll build back. We'll, we'll figure it out. We have to do some funerals. We've got to do all this. And then the, the next messenger comes as all this happens. And now the bottom falls out. You've heard it said, when it rains, it pours. He had a hurricane in his life in an afternoon. The wind that came and blew down the house when all of his children, as they fellowship together. Meaning everything falls apart when everything is going good. That sounds like life, doesn't it? 
the wreckage comes and you can't stop it. Your world falls apart and you can't stop it. You lose everything and you can't stop it. Let me ask you, when everything falls apart, do you? When everything falls apart, are you the next thing that falls apart? Am I? We see this crisis and we go, why Job? How? How could all that happen in a day, let alone an afternoon? One after the other after the other. We can ask ourselves how we would respond. We take up arms, we go fight the Sabins, the Chaldeans, we go get our camels back at least, we go get our sheep back, or we go get something back, and we go, at least I've got this. He's standing there with a broken hearted wife, crushed. The babies she carried in her womb are gone. The babies that she nursed are gone. Her boys, her little girls who she taught to sew and to cook and to be good wives are gone. Forget the livestock. Forget the servants. My babies! How will we respond? Here we find Job's response and it is one of worshiping in the wreckage. It is one of a holy consecration. Few know the pain of which they faced let alone tenfold, and let alone losing their entire life. All they got is what's on their body, what's in their tent, and what's right there in front of them, and that's each other. Oh, dear husband and wife, when everything falls apart, you had better be together or else you will fall apart. Because everything's falling apart because the devil doesn't care so much about your possessions. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your home. He cares about your children. He cares about your hearts. He cares about your devotion to to one another and to the Lord our God. That better be the moment that you get so close together that there's nothing that can separate you and you better not let a piece of paper go between you two. Because then you'll lose, truly lose, everything. Notice this holy consecration and we'll be done. Notice this. First three words of verse 20, then Job arose. One of two things is happening here. Either one, Job was sitting down, resting, enjoying a day off, and the messengers come one by one. Or perhaps even the very news of all that just took place knocked him flat on his rear. There's a reason why we tell people when we are giving them bad news, are you sitting down? I hate it when I have it. Just just tell me. I'll sit down after if I got to. Here's what happens. Job got up. He's got an option. You've got an option. I've got an option. And he arose. He rent his mantle. He shaved his head. He mourns. Godliness and suffering does not mean that it goes without mourning or weeping. But it means that the weeping will one day be turned into joy and the night of mourning will turn into a morning of joy. That it will turn into a day where the Lord our God shall wipe away every tear and shall hold us in His arms forever and forever. 
Job mourns, and rightfully so. But you and I, dear believer, those of our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord, we don't mourn and grieve as those who have no hope. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's going to call out of the grave all those who are in Christ. If the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us which are alive and remain shall be snatched up, called up together to be with Him, meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He rises up. He mourns. And then He goes back down to the ground but not to weep for His children, not to weep for His servants, not to weep for His camels, and not to weep for Himself, but to worship God. Tears are bitter things. But they're not bitter when they're tears of worship. When they're tears of broken praise before God. How we respond in suffering demonstrates how deep our faith Independence is and what we rely on, what we trust in, and what we love the most, and it will even reveal the idols of our life so that we might know God in all of His glory. The will of God in the work of suffering is to reveal His worth to us, leading the sufferer to know and worship Him in a deeper, more committed way. Here's where we find this holy consecration. He rises up, then bows down before God. Job chooses a holy consecration when he could have chosen anything else. He could have laid in the ashes and wept for his children for days. He could have called a fast. He could have called a morning. He could have went to war. But he doesn't. He goes to worship. When your world falls apart, is our first response Rise up, mourn, and bow down and worship. I would say more than likely not. But here's what true worship looks like. It's submission, recognition, adoration, and resolution. We see that in the next two verses. He falls down and he worships. We find submission. What is missing in the Christian life today is just that. It's submission. We are glad that Jesus is our Savior, but we're not as happy that He is our Lord. That He has all authority in our life. The issue is that we don't live as if He does have all authority in His life. You can tell easily by how we live our life. He mourns and worships God in total broken surrender. God was not looking for Job to be better or more righteous he just brings them to a place of more surrender. Because we've all got more to go. Amen? He rises to weep, but he bows down to worship. You want to know what the word worship here literally means and bow down? The two go hand in hand. Worship is to be prostrate before God. It's to be on your face. He puts his face in the dirt and cries out to the one that made it knowing that He Himself is but dirt and one day shall return to just that. And He worships God. Why? Why did He have any reason to worship God? I can tell you a few. God was still God. God was still good. God did not take away His children, but rather what He did is He brought them unto Himself. What we find is that God was still uh, sovereign over His life. That God had still richly blessed Job. That Job still had His loving wife. 
that Job still had years of, of, of wealth and riches and blessing and honor of which no other man had had. Even on your worst day, God's still good. On your best day, God is still good. On your average day, God is still good. And the moment that we lose sight of that dear believer, we start viewing him like the devil did and tempted Eve and Adam to do where we go, God's holding out on me. And it's because we have too low a view of God and too high a view of self. Because instead of us living as if we were made after His image and likeness, we have decided to make ourselves a God after our image and our likeness. We want God to be like what we want Him to be, which the Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry. It's called blasphemy. We see the submission is just the beginning of real worship. There's no real worship without submission. But as well, there's no real worship without a recognition. The object. Here we see Job cries out, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. That's a recognition. He goes, I am but dust. Naked I came, naked I'll leave. I brought nothing in, I brought nothing out. I'll take nothing out. You cannot take it with you. You will not take it with you. Here's what he says. The Lord gave. Gave what? You could write underneath that and put everything. The very breath in Job's lungs to breathe out praise to him. He is the one that gave him his wife, his children, his land, his servants, his ox, his sheep, his camels. He gave him everything. And the reason why we get so upset with suffering is because we think God owes us something. God did owe us something. And it was judgment forever and forever and a real fiery hell. And Christ took my place. He took what I deserved there upon that cross so that I would get what I don't deserve. What I don't deserve is heaven. What I don't deserve is forgiveness. What I don't deserve is blessing. What I don't deserve is to be able to worship God knowing that no matter what happens to me, He is still God. God gives and God takes away. But let me ask you this. You see, how could He take His kids? How could He take all of His life from Him? It is the Lord who gave such. And we get upset that God takes back what is His. Every breath belongs to Him. Every servant, possession, child belongs to Him. We belong to Him. And because Job recognizes this, he realizes that God owns all things and I'm just borrowing what He's given. You ever seen a couple kids, one friend lets the other one borrow a toy, play with that toy? And then he goes and he says, hey, can I have it back now? And the other kid goes, no, it's mine. How's that go? Not too good, does it? God gave. And it's not mine. Everything I have, God gave, and it's not mine. He's just entrusted me with it. And have you ever thought for a moment that God has entrusted you to display His glory by giving and taking away 
so that you might display what faith looks like in the midst of trials. We then find that real worship is not just submission and recognition. It needs those two things as a basis, but then it is adoration. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is Jehovah. It is Yahweh. It is speaking of who God is. It is speaking of His character, meaning this. You could sum it up. Here's what Job prays. Naked I came in. Naked I'm going to leave. I brought nothing in. I'll take nothing out. The Lord gave. The Lord takes away. I'm going to praise Him because He is good, faithful, kind, patient, loving, just, gracious, merciful. He is everlasting. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He's with me right now in this heap of ashes. He's with me right now when the worlds fall apart and He's holding me together. That's what blessed be the name of the Lord means. That no matter what God gives and entrusts me with for however long He entrusts me with it and then takes it away, that God is still good. Then there's a resolution of worship. You must resolve yourself to worship. You must resolve to worship the Lord in such a way you must resolve yourself where we find in verse 22, and all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. You've got two options when the world falls apart. You've got two options when the wreckage comes. You can either worship in the wreckage, or you can accuse God foolishly. God, how could you? God, I deserve better. I don't deserve better. I don't deserve what I have. Here's what we see. And we're done. Worship resolves our hearts to trust God in the most difficult times of life. And ultimately the end of all suffering and ultimately the end of all history is this. That God is glorified. The issue with the average Christian today is that we think God is only glorified when things go good. God is glorified when my life falls apart. And I rise up, bow down, and worship Him. As a matter of fact, I'd say all the more glory goes to Christ when we suffer unjustly as He said, as He did. Let me ask you today, and we bring this to a close, what's your response in worship? What's your response to the wreckage of life? When everything falls apart, do you? When everything falls apart in your life, are you still able to say, God is good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is there genuine worship in your life? Perhaps you've gone through hell and back, but have you found yourself on your face blessing the name of God even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of trials, that you would learn to live in spite of these things to glorify God's name? May I ask you, is your entire life surrendered? Or do you give God credit only for the good parts? Do you give Him glory only in the good parts? Do you need God only in the good parts? Or do you only cry out to God when everything does fall apart? The rest of the time you don't talk to Him, you don't need Him, you don't want Him. Will you see God's hand in all of this? Will you see that Every moment of your suffering is accounted for by God's clock. 
every day of trouble in your life is on His calendar. And every bit of it He holds in His hand and He's working a work upon your heart. Today, I don't know where each person is at in their spiritual life today, but first of all, if you need Christ, would you come? Let me take the Bible and show you Jesus. Be born again. Know this God who is to be blessed forever. Secondly, if you do know Christ, when's the last time you simply praised Him even though your world was falling apart? When's the last time you thanked God for the storms? When's the last time you surrendered? When's the last time you resolved yourself to rise up, bow down, and worship the Lord our God? When's the last time you simply came to Him and said, Blessed be Your name? Would you stand with me? This piano plays. This altar's open. If you have a need, would you come? Perhaps you're in the middle of your world falling apart right now. Perhaps you're in the wreckage right now. Perhaps you're still picking up the pieces from wreckage. Are you going to worship Him through it or not?